Hello. I think I have the option to withhold your entry to the meeting. You did. I was in a waiting room. Were <laughs> you? Nice. I was the waiting yeah. room. I wasn't. Oh, they just I saw the weird mood. magazines and stuff. 90s. I love, I love the mood music. Oh, really? Was it good? <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was like... Da, 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 da. A bit of girl from Eponema, was it? <laughs> Wait, excellent. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, sorry for keeping you waiting there, sir. Um, excellent. So you said on the phone that you have an issue in the downstairs region. If you just want to pop your clothes on the stool, uh, bend over, and we'll just have a wee look and see, uh, see what the issue is. Uh, oh, the, the, <laughs> I thought this was a podcast. You therapy, therapy. What have you been putting up here? It seems to be awesome. <laughs> the trombone. Spatula. <laughs> Spatula. Nice. A can of uh, antiviral disinfectant. Lovely. Nice enough. Yeah. We uh, get on with this, mother. All right. I reckon so. What are we doing here? I don't even fucking know. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's Jesus. It going, guys? <laughs> you want to go again? <laughs> yes. Yeah. the time delay. The beers hit him already. <laughs> there was a time delay? Is there? Okay. No, I don't know. Was there? Are you doing that deliberately? It's like when someone says, I didn't hear that. And you went, pardon? I said, I didn't hear that. Pardon? No, no, no. Oh. Gen- Genuinely, apparently this is a thing. Apparently this is a thing. Right. What we're going to do, I've seen this on the internet. You're going to clap as soon as I clap. As soon as you see me clap, you're okay. going to clap. Okay. You're, you're going to try at the same time and you're going to see me and I'm going to tell you what like the delay is like. Okay. So you I've know? got to clap. As soon as I clap. So you've got to try and time your clap with when you see me clap. All right. Okay. Go for it. Right. Here we go. Everyone listen up. Go. Yeah, that's like a one-second delay. It's crazy. Not even that. No, no, no. You try it, honestly. Okay, ready? Can you see me, yeah? I got the microphone here. Okay, ready? I I, I was going to count down, but... (laughs) (laughs) You got me! Exactly. Are you ready? Don't talk shit! That was not... You looked... That was a good couple of seconds delay. No, no. Do Do it again. Do it again. Okay, okay. You ready? That's nonsense. You're what? making that up. You're winding it up. You think I'm deliberately doing it after you? <laughs> yeah, it looks like, like I know that smile. I promise I'm not. That scheming, that scheming smirk. Um, I'll, I'll talk trying though. You never believe anything I say. This is the podcasting equivalent of getting sick of the sight of your own face due to the alarming number of Zoom calls that you have with your colleagues and such. Therefore, you decide to cut your own hair. And in the process of doing that, they think there's something wrong. Have you cut your hair? No. No. All right. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> just the way that the webcam was. You couldn't see my head. I think I will. Well, I was thinking this. It's going to be a case out of the two of us of who's going to blink first. One of, you or me, one of us is going to cut our hair. No, I was going to go man bun. Ugh. God. I was gonna, I was gonna put it back, like pro- properly, just like grow that shit out. It, it, that is a road that I have travelled down before, and it is a perilous trip, my friend. No, I remember it. I remember Filled it. Well. With... Just, I've, I've not walked it yet, so uh, you know. Oh goodness, you've not walked or washed it yet. When was the last time you uh, gave that 
lovely sleek uh, mane of yours a shampooing? I did it this morning. Thank you very oh, much. Very good. And if you can provide the proof, that would be great. Exactly. Just what <laughs> I thought. <laughs> he hasn't even washed his hair. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not prepared for this walk. Else. So when you finally get the man bun, will you, how, will, how will you keep it under control? Will you do the whole method that I did when I had long hair, which was when you tie it back, hold it back for a bit, and then just cut, cut <laughs> about an inch off, and then just leave it every month, just, just take an inch away each month so it doesn't kind of look, look like it's totally damaged drying hair? Have you had, you've not really thought this through, have you? No, I've not thought it through at all. Oh, God. You just, you're asking you just... a question I don't know the answer to. <laughs> this is stuff you need to be prepared for. I think we're supposed to be talking about something. <laughs> not our hair out. We are a music and movie podcast. We take the time each week to discuss our favorite or some of our least favorite movies, uh, or maybe not even least favorite, just some old favorites that we once loved and then now looking back and it realize, oh my goodness, I can't believe I loved that movie. And then we discuss the music of them and in some cases the lack of music and in some cases the decisions why they chose certain tracks or certain songs or certain scores. And in some cases, musical biographies of uh, famous musical individuals. Hitting everything, hitting all the notes. I guess I'm kind of... I would say that that was a lot. It, it kind of gives the imp- it, it gives the impression that we have a lot to talk about. Exactly. Most of us, most of us utter shit. Utter anyway. shit. Yeah, it's ridiculous how much I do have to edit out of just the shit that goes on. We decided for this episode of the show to kind of, obviously we do a kind of Alex first, me first, Alex first, me first, and then we um, we take it back and forward and naturally the MCU special kind of threw things out of whack a little bit because we kind of reverted to our old for- format of I'll do some films, you do some films and split the load. But we had to think about the two episodes you probably have seen in the title description this week and thought, actually, there's probably not a huge amount of merit to doing the <laughs> the first movie first and the second movie second. So we've actually switched the order. I'm going first purely on the fact that one of these movies is utterly dumb and the other movie is utterly brilliant. And we wanted to kind of at least save the best for last as opposed to front end it. What do you think? Yeah, and I think it's just—I think it's just worth posing the question to our listeners. As you, as you were saying, one of one of the movies is brilliant, and one of them is dumb. One of the movies is Daredevil, and one of them is Amadeus. <laughs> which one? Which one is brilliant, and which one is dumb? <laughs> okay. Stay so, tuned. Ex- <laughs> and also, uh, it doesn't take—it doesn't take a genius to work out who's doing what report. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can tell. So I've decided I'm going to start us off with 2003's Mark Stephen Johnson's absolute banger, Daredevil. Amazing. Oh, right now, 
before we get into this, right, I said in the sort of the up top piece that this is a movie that I used to love. There's a famous podcast that... Now, you did and you I... used to like it or did you oh, used to love it? Used to love this movie. I mean, when Seriously? I was... Oh my God, when I was... So how old would I have been when this came out? It was 2003. Oh, man. Actually, do you know what, Callum? I'm going to... Do you know what, Callum? I'm going to make you feel a little bit better because I think there's a movie of this ilk that yeah. I really loved around the same kind of time. Well, we're going to... I think it's just as embarrassing as you like, as you loving Daredevil. Well, we're going to so, talk about that. It's Spider-Man, obviously. No, Spider-Man's great. Oh, uh, is it... Um, oh, no, it's worse than that. Like, Fantastic like Four? No. Is it, is it a superhero movie? Kind of. Oh, uh, it's not Ghost Rider, is it? No, it's not Ghost Rider. Jeez. I, I'm kind of out of that era. Those were the sort of the ones of that era that I could I could guess that was. I similar. think you'll have forgotten it, but I think you'll know as soon as I Electra? tell you. No. Oh God, where are we? What is this movie? Shall I just tell you? Yeah, go for it. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, of course. Oh God. With Sir Sean Allen Quartermain Connery. I know. My God. That is. I, I mean. It. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think I did too. I think we watched it together quite a lot. That everything that uh, Universal's dark universe aspires to be, I think. Yeah. I think that's where they're I'd taking a lot of their inspiration it. from. I'd be interested to watch it again for sure. We're going to have to, I think, aren't we? Uh, yeah, after getting out uh, my calculator to do that quick maths, this movie came out when I was about nine. So I would have been about probably by the time it was on DVD 10, maybe 11. And this was probably the coolest movie ever, you know, and, 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 and for so many reasons, it's just not, I mean, it is just terrible. So basically let's get, let's get into this movie. Okay. Um, And let's start with Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock, the titular daredevil character. Yeah. He is a terrible human being. I mean, a God awful, terrible human being matt murdoch what a what a horrendous like i just can't get over just how he's he's just so slimy and smart how is he the hero in this thing i don't understand i was thinking about this while i was watching the movie and i think it's because we can't relate to him in any way shape or form nothing there's no he's not relatable but do you know what do you know what would have fixed it go on if he slept in a goddamn bed Oh yeah, yeah. You're right. He sleeps in a bath, doesn't he? Like a sort of sarcophagus-looking thing. I think it. I think the technical term is sensory deprivation tank. Oh, is that from the comics? Is it? No, that's just what these things are called. It's a real thing. Oh, really? Okay, nice. <laughs> so yeah, well, the reason I asked for the comics, obviously, it's Marvel. Marvel comics uh, debuted first in 1964. The character of Daredevil as a really? character, great. I think he's yeah. a really I think he's a really interesting superhero, but I think that there's a lot of flaws with the superhero and, and it, nothing more, uh, sorry, the, the, there's, there's no other way that this is emphasized more than sort of the, the montage as he's a kid when he's first had the sort of accident that blinds him, um, yeah. where they're kind of, where he kind of says uh, that it, it took away my sight, but it, uh, what is it, that heightened my other senses. So and I will say something slightly controversial. Yeah, go for it, it. In that, I actually, I genuinely really liked the sequence where he woke up in bed 
and he had his new sensory powers. Mm. And I thought it explained, it showed us what his new powers were. You yep. could see him hearing and sensing his environment and kind of like being able to map out the whole yeah. place with that. And they did a great job of showing us it. And then they ruined it by having Ben Affleck tell us what we'd just seen in yeah. a voiceover. And I was yeah. like, oh, for fuck's sake, so, you had to just... I wondered how long it would take before you got into this, right? I wondered how long it would take to get into this, right? So I'll pick up on the main thing of what you're trying to say there is the, the, the biggest problem with this movie, bar none, is the writing. The writing is atrocious. I mean, absolutely atrocious. The dialogue yeah. in this film, I... If you know, if I ever meet Mark Stephen Johnson, I'm just going to go. What were you thinking? I mean, it is just the worst dialogue you can ever come across. The the telling of everything that you, even in the scenes where you do see it, he still says it. You yeah. know, like the other example of when the other example when he's he's roughing that guy up. I forget that I, I, this plot had no sense either. But when he's roughing the guy up, and he can't hear his heart beating, telling a lie. And then he opens his shirt and it quite obviously is a pacemaker scar, although the pacemaker scar is in the wrong place, but it's a pacemaker scar. And he goes, you have a pacemaker. Why did you need to do that? Just, just we can tell what was going on. It's just mental. Everything. Yeah. Or, when, or, when, <laughs> or when he could see Electra in, in the rain because all the rain was going on her. And then um, he had to say, Oh, keep stand in the rain because that way I can see you. Yeah, the 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 dialogue is, and the whole thing of when they first meet and what you know, and she's just like has what's nothing to do with it. What's now? I want nothing to do with this. Is so what you know? Past the honey, it's just in front of you. Could you could you give me a bit more help? What are you? And then he goes blind, and I'm like, oh, what a horrendous piece of writing that! Like just horrendous. Oh, it's yeah. so bad. That happened in real life. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is the. So this is. I've got so many tendrils of things I want to talk about from this. Right. So, he's heightened other abilities. So, how does he have heightened touch? Like the whole touch thing's weird. But then that leads to think that he's got heightened smell and heightened taste. Like my God! Like imagine having like roast a right a nice roast meal. That must just be like a like an orgasm in a in an experience you know for him. Okay. We're, we're, we're encroaching on territory, which is like, this is a comic book movie, you know, suspend your disbelief for a second here. And my suspension of disbelief, the line of that is, okay, I can believe that as a superhero, his five senses are, mm. are you know, heightened. Yes. And like, you know, comic book movies have like touched on, you know, side effects that weren't intended by superhero. Mm. Like my, my favorite, one of my favorite ones is, Captain America can't get drunk. Oh, yeah, okay, cool, yeah. Because because his immune system is so fast that he just can't get intoxicated. Sure, sure. So I think Daredevil's one is, exactly, it's like, oh, I can taste this chicken 500%. (laughs) But they don't show that. I only I only put in a quarter of an oxo cube because the whole one is just too much, <laughs> it's too overwhelming. Exactly, exactly. So by proxy, then do you think it's just like if I like if um if Matt Murdock had one of your uh, 
330 mil cloudy IPAs, he would be smashed. Talking shit. That's, that's a good absolutely point. done. He would he'd be point. slurring around, stumbling around, making accusations. Yeah. Oh, and then that would affect yeah. his like sonar. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So as we've established, I can believe that his five senses, you know, all of them are heightened. I'll yes. buy that 100%. What I will not buy is the sheer athleticism. It's mental. Of, of what he does. It's this. mental. And not, and not just him, like the other people as well. It's like, oh, great. I didn't realize uh, a heightened ability to sense your surroundings meant you could jump across like a four lane he does. He jumps about a twelve meter height at some point. I remember, and obviously yeah. the fight scene with Bullseye and Electra on that route. I mean, he's doing mental moves and mental yeah. jumps. Are, they 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 don't really ease you into that that character, you know. And and like like you say, like it, yeah, I don't buy that. I don't I don't buy no, it. You don't buy it, and it's like it touches on. I don't think this movie knows what it wants to be. Because well, that's it, and that's that's what I was going to say in my sort of my concluding remarks. Yeah, there's so much of it where they go because the the character the superhero deserves to be grounded in realism and that's something i think the netflix show did really really well right we're, we'll chat about that after because i've actually not we seen will, the we'll netflix. chat about that but i'll yeah. finish this um it's just on one hand they want to do that realism because he says things like okay i got all my senses now i need to just like train my body and then you get the montage of him training and so so you're like okay his abilities you're, the movie's telling us that his abilities are grounded in reality, but then it shows him doing flippy shit yeah. and, uh, and, and, and all that nonsense. And the, and the scenery is always depicted in like, you know, this is grimy, New York, realism, yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, you've got horrific CGI in the church, you know, with horrific. Bullseye. At one second, he takes about two leaps to get from ground level yep. to like the organ gallery right yep. he like jumps onto the wall and then he jumps up it again to get up and then at some point about 10 seconds later bullseye shoves him off and all of a sudden the sudden the distance between that balcony and the floor is like a 10-story building yeah yeah they've done weird camera do you know the bit i'm talking yeah, about i know exactly what you're yeah. talking about yeah because they do this weird camera thing which is you know, it's it's a cool effect and, uh, and something, but it's not the style that you've been going for in the whole movie. There it's is like there's another weird camera effect when they're out of the courtroom and John Favreau, which we'll get to, goes to him, you want to go for a beer tonight? And he goes, no, I can't, I'm busy. And then he goes, why are you always busy? And then he looks dead into the camera and then it zooms in on just his glasses in this most horrendous 90s TV show way. It's just like, what was that? Like, it just looked so if you watch back you're never going to watch this movie again I know but for those who watch this again <laughs> for those who watch it again you notice that scene you're just like god horrendous uh, sorry I just want to make because I make a lot of notes of this movie um, terrible bloke the playground fight scene because he just doesn't say no she's like that no leave me alone stop it and he's like forcing himself like no come on, come on. horrendous guy he is yeah. a horrendous human being. That, yeah. and, it, and I think it emphasizes that whole like mentality of like 90s men, lawyers, like, yeah, we can do what we want. We can get, it's just this, I hate it. I hated, I hated it. I hated yeah. it, Alex. Make it go yeah. away. 
and, yeah. and, 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 and then that fight scene is just a bit, I mean, the only thing that is going, so we talked a little bit about, you know, other films coming out of this ilk with the Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, uh, the, this kind of era, this, I would say from 2000 to 2000 and maybe five, six, maybe up to yeah. seven for Spider-Man three, for those sort of, they're the kind of, they, they by and large, for a lot of the reasons, they, they were kind of like the, the, um, it laid a lot of the groundwork and were the testing ground for the MCU. Like the MCU would not be anywhere near as successful as, as it was if it wasn't for films like the Raimi Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four original ones with, or, or this dared, like it wouldn't be because these were the films that made the mistakes wrong and they kind of learned through that. I get that. Like I, I understand, but yep. nothing is worse than the basketball fight scene in Catwoman. And if you don't remember that scene, please go on YouTube, basketball fight scene. Because at one point, I'm like, is this a music video? Is, did, is like a, is like, did someone just put, um, what, what is going on here? So the only good thing about the fight scene in the playground for Daredevil is that it wasn't as bad as the similar scene in Catwoman the year before. Like, that's all I can say. It, it, I, Which I, I, was I before this? Oh, I don't even want to look it up. I thought I thought Catwoman was 2002. Fun fact for you, um, I was in London, because I didn't live in London, obviously, at the time. I was in London when Halle Berry was in Leicester Square doing the premiere for this film. And I saw her in her limo. Sorry, no, Catwoman was the year after this. It was 2004. Yeah. So, I, so maybe that basketball scene was inspired by this fight scene. Or maybe it was being filmed at the time, because that's an overlap. My God. Uh, oh, they. Who cares? They just wanted to get Halle Berry to wear not a lot and do... dance around. Yeah, at one point she just like it, the cam. It's just on her bum and it just shakes. And I'm like, what are we watching? What is this? <laughs> Absolute. It's, it was horrendous. Sounds like we're doing Catwoman next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get onto the music, I touched on when I was saying there about the whole. So that obviously the link for this is superheroes, but the link closer to this from the MCU is John Favreau. So John yeah. Favreau, who plays a, a, another person, I don't even know, like he, the, the lawyer friend. But Foggy you Nelson. Know, is it Nelson? Is it okay? Yeah. Foggy, Foggy, Foggy Nelson. So he's in the, that's like in the, the comic books. That's his sort of yeah. partner, his law partner. Yeah. Personally, I like to think that it's the same guy. Oh, that, that's Happy Hogan? Yeah, Dare, Daredevil's the first movie of the MCU, my friend. <laughs> Well, but, the, but this is the thing. It's kind of like John Favreau kind of got, I guess, two kicks at the bucket. He got to be the sidekick or the kind of hapless sidekick or the, the friend of the non-caped superhero in both of these, in both of these iterations. And that's why I, why I re-emphasize the point of the MCU kind of did a lot of the testing and the groundwork uh, for, for yeah. this. And, and, and I think to say, nothing the fact, to say nothing of the fact that most of the people that are currently in charge of the MCU and started the MCU, made this movie, including Kevin Feige. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, great point. So, yeah. so, so, I, so, I mean, the, these were, you could, you could, like I said, and I've made the point before, the, these were literally the kind of, the, the experiments, if you were, before they really kicked things off. But it's incredible, because it's, they're made by the same people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, and it just show, it goes to show as well just how much of their lives, you know, Kevin Feige and John Favreau have committed to superhero Hollywood movies. Like it's yeah. it's just it's 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 by and large probably the biggest clearly thing in their life. Fashion. Clearly a passion. Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, I'm moving on. So let's talk about some of the music. So the reason that I picked this one up was because my memories of this movie, I loved this movie when I was younger, and my memories of it was that I liked, I was into that whole kind of evanescence rock kind of like, I was, I was not a nerd, uh, like an emo sort of kind of guy, because I was, I was not, but I did have a soft spot for that kind of music, that kind of like Panic at the, panic at the Disco um, sort of vibe. Fallout Boy was a huge one of mine, and it, and and personal favorite when i was kid was nickelback now obviously nickelback has gone through every end of the garbage so to speak in the in the coming years and that went in and out and nickelback was uh, learned the hard ways is in this uh film is in the soundtrack of this film and to, to hammer that point home i recently played nickelback as an answer in cards against humanity that's how low they've dropped jesus <laughs> what well, not what was really good what was really good, it was a two-part answer, okay. and it was basically Nickelback, and then my other answer was fading away into nothingness. Oh. It, just, it just worked really well. But, but the thing with Nickelback, so like obviously the song choice that's used for this film, I can't remember when it's used, I think it's the montage scene, where it's, it's, it, the, the song is called Learn the Hard Way. So it's very like tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, he's having to learn the hard way, he's blind, and oh. <laughs> Get it? Exactly, Not exactly. Wait, wait. And, 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 and that's the problem. That's the problem with all of the songs in this movie is that it, they are very much like, let's go back to the Suicide Squad of, let's put a song in here that emphasizes this scene but just hits the nail on the head. My favorite is when you're introduced to Bullseye and uh, Colin Farrell as Bullseye. This was the first Hollywood movie he did with his actual Irish accent. And oh, did he? So they, exactly, yes. Yeah. So, so, and and to, to emphasize that, they put uh, House of Pain's uh, top of the morning to you which is just the worst song in the world i mean house of pain famous for jump around classic a classic brilliant song uh used uh, at a brilliant extent in mrs doubtfire if you'll remember that sequence at the start during jake's birthday with <laughs> when yeah. they're dancing on the table introducing robin yeah. williams i love and i love that song for other reasons this song is the worst song i think that's ever been produced or written or released it literally some of the lyrics well, by are anyone. by anyone ever top of the morning to you top of the morning imagine that house of pain top of the morning to you it's ridiculous and then it shows him in a bar have throwing darts and winning against this guy. the whole thing is just like what are we watching and we talk can about we, can we talk about colin farrell in this movie first go for it yeah what was he doing do you know 50% of him is great. 50% is utter garbage. Because yeah. him as the character of Bullseye, really good. He looks nothing like Bullseye. But I actually don't mind the gothic look. Because but if they really went home, you know, like girl with a dragon tattoo gothic, just really just like, and really, but don't make him funny or weird or quirky. Make him dark. And, if, and, and this, is, this is my overarching, my, my thing of, how could you fix this movie? And the first one is that this movie was initially supposed to be um, an R-rated movie. That would have oh, yeah. fixed so much of the problems of this movie. Yeah. Because you could have made this, because it is, it's, it's, it's the, the, the word to describe Daredevil as a, as a comic book character is tragic and tragedy. You know, almost yeah. as much, almost as much as Batman is for the DC. Daredevil is Daredevil is kind of Marvel's answer to Batman. 
in, in, yeah. in a larger respect. Like he's the closest thing because obviously, you know, with, with, with the whole thing with his past and he's, and he's, he's crippled and the whole vision thing and the, and the, the, yeah. the ultrasound sort of piece. But if they had leaned and made this an R rated, you could have had a really gritty bullseye. You know, you could have, you could have really hammered that point home. Obviously he does look nothing like, and Daredevil is from the Bronx. He's not from Ireland. <laughs> But yeah. uh, what were your thoughts of him? Oh, I mean, again, my number one thing is like, oh, great. What, what, what's, this, what's this villain doing? What's this thing? What's this thing? What's this thing? Oh, he's got really good aim. He's got really good aim. Mm. He's got really good aim. Oh, apparently that means he knows insane martial arts as well. I did think, I wondered if you were going to bring this up. The martial arts thing that when they were fighting on the roof, I was kind of just like, I was thinking that too. I was like, oh, well, I guess if he's, a, if he's in this movie, if he's, if he's a... But, you know, at the end of the day, he is an assassin. When you see his level of, like, aim... Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have to do anything. Yeah, you're, you are right. You, you are right. I did think this. I did think this, yeah. It's so funny that you but said... It's so funny that you for say years this. to be an assassin. No, you'd be a fat shit, and you'd just... Yeah. And they'd be dead. It'd be great. Or just a gun. Or just a gun, just yeah. a gun. That would finish this movie. Why didn't yeah, he just use a gun? Why doesn't Bullseye just use a gun? Hang on a minute. This is mental. What is this? Just give him a gun. Well, why would you have a gun when you could have belt shrukens? Is that what they were called? Shrukens? I've never known what yeah, they were like, called. Yeah, it's like weird ninja star things, except they were weird. like spinny blades. Yeah, exactly. Before we go on, another musical inclusion that introduced a character. So obviously, top of the morning to you, ugh, introduced Bullseye. The other villain was introduced by another song, which is Lap Dance by Nerd. I like this song a lot. I think Lap Dance by Nerd is a great song. Like N-E-R-D, I think. I don't know if they're known by. Great 90s sort of techno, 2000s techno piece. Really, really good band. Uh, it, it's just a bit comical. Like, it, it's, it's like everything. It's kind of like this movie, in some parts, it takes itself too seriously. And then in some parts, it's just weird and comical. Michael Clark Duncan is absolutely, fanta- Michael Clark Duncan is absolutely fantastic as uh, the kingpin in this. I think he's so yeah. good. Um, but he, a lot of the scenes, he's standing on a stool to make him look very imposing and doing that kind of forced perspective piece. He yeah, did the yeah. same thing in The Green Mile. Uh, Which- I, I think... Forced perspective is one of my favorite cinema techniques. I it's, sim- it's the simplest. I, it's the simplest. I absolutely love it. Just by tricks of the camera, you can make anyone believe anything. Like, obviously, the best example is Lord of the Rings. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Big and little people, but also Harry Potter did yeah. it with Hagrid. And even though I've seen how these tricks are done, you know, they're on all of, like the DVD features. Yeah. I've been to I've been to the Harry Potter studios and I've seen the actual apparatus that they use and physically seen. Oh, that's how they make you think that. Mm. But I'll go home next day, watch the movie, and I'll still be fooled. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's great. I love it. The 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 if we go back to Bullseye though with with the movie, there's the scene where he kills Electra's father and uh, it kind of introduces him him on the chopper and he's on the bike. I like that scene because that's quite cool. If they're going to lean into Bullseye's this gothic weirdo, 
who's a bike. Like, I get that. I buy that. And the song that they play is, is, is uh, the, the Man Without Fear by Drowning Pool, which is a great song. Like, it's a great metal song. Uh, and, and it kind of is great because it, it doesn't, the song's called Man Without Fear because Daredevil's the man without fear, obviously. But then it plays it because it's kind of showing the aggression of bulls. I think that does work. And that's a good inclusion of music. And yeah. by and large, the music that they choose for this movie works. It's very, hit the nail on the head, but you can tell there, it didn't, it was really considered. That's why I quite like this. And, if, and I think just if you compare that to the films of this era. Pardon? It was considered, but I don't think that the movie did a good enough job of justifying the tone, the tonal music. Not like, you know, per- other perfect examples of like, you know, genre rock. Mm-hmm. or genre modern music mm-hmm. to go with movies. I think one of the strongest examples is The Matrix. Yes, yes. Right. So think about the sound world of The Matrix, and they just went ham on the aesthetics, the costumes yeah. and the color saturations and yeah. everything in The Matrix just really sold that sound. Yeah, and they yeah. Did together perfectly. And I just don't think Daredevil went far enough really. yeah I, well that's it and i think like i say and it comes down to a tone piece of the fact that it wasn't r-rated they really could have they really could have hammered in the whole death metal music sort of thing and really done that and yeah. they didn't like that's why i liked it when they put this the drowning pool song in really that would have been a really great example another ex- example of where uh, a, a tone has really hit it was the tron movie where they daft punk did the soundtrack you know like yeah. a kind of quite quite a quite a great band to do a soundtrack for that style of movie um, but the other songs that we get to in this, so, so to bring it home um, uh, with the music uh, uh, idea, the reason why I really like the music and the reason why that I ticked the box of I wanted to do a film that continued on the kind of MCU um, chat that we had last week, continued on the fact that I want to talk about a musical, uh, a movie with music in it that I kind of have memories for, but I also want to try and find one that wasn't good, <laughs> which is why I chose this one. <laughs> But they yeah. include My Immortal uh, and and uh, Bring Me Up to Life, both by Evanescence. I loved Evanescence when I was younger. I absolutely loved Evanescence. And it's so funny that, that these two songs, like I love these two songs. Like when I was in school, I used to listen to these on my on my old, my classic iPod when I first, you know, the first iPod. Um, yeah, I remember. And and I remember I I had this album and I loved I loved it. It was like bring bring me up to li- bring me up to life, and and my immortal. These songs were great and they they get used quite well. That funeral scene where uh, Electra's dad dies. I like that song. I don't I don't. It's they should have just taken it. Like that's the right level of seriousness they should have taken. If they'd cons- consistently been at that level, this would have been an, a fine movie for what it was. But it was yeah. just weird it was just weird it was weird some some parts of that what do you think about what do you think about those two evanescence and then the bring me up to life the kind of montage where she's fighting the sandbags which that would have made a bloody mess Do you imagine that <laughs> you get one shot at that probably what a room to be doing it in as well it's like yeah. classic big ballroom yeah, exactly what are you doing exactly. Is this your gym? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's your, what's your from <laughs> What's your thoughts on Evanescence? So this is a genre of music. I don't even know what you call it. What is this genre? What would you call it? It's kind of like gothic rock. 
Goth rock. Yeah, it's goth rock. That's what this movie is. That's why I'm picking Daredevil, because it's a goth rock movie. But it's not like Marilyn Manson. No, but it, but that's the point. That's the point. It's a PG-13 goth rock. You know, you could have gone really, you know, you, you, you could have thrown in like some real slipknot numbers and stuff into this if you'd put this in R-rated. You know, get some yeah. Ramstein in, in there, really lay it thick on the kind of the metal side of things. You know, yeah. or even or even kind of go the other way if you want to go more mainstream. You know, No Leaf Clover. No Leaf Clover is a movie. Uh, sorry, is a song by Metallica that is custom built to be used during a training montage of Daredevil and Elektra. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you can imagine that there. It envisages there. It's just, it's just. This is kind of like more gothicy than it's 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 odd. I don't know. Like I can't put my finger on this. Do you know what I'm yeah. getting at? It's not. I do. I do know what you're getting at. It's not. It's never been a genre of music that I've had any interest in at all. Okay. Like really, I, and I think it's because you don't have to go far to get to a genre of music that I do like. Mm. Like you know, I love Metallica. You mm. know, classic metal. Going into Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Back to yeah. Iron Maiden. Like, that's something completely different. Like, but I've always just found this genre of of uh, rock music goth rock just a little bit whiny it, yeah i mean like you know it's like, Evan, oh, stop moaning evanescence is we get it shut up it's designed for angsty teens like that's what it's for yeah but see i don't have any patience for that i know i know i know i i i was an angsty teen but i liked this music for that i don't know why i liked it it's weird that kind of over almost over the top it, 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 it's an odd one. It's an odd one. Um, some music in this that is great. So Graham Ravel, who's the, the, the composer for this, uh, hasn't done much else. I'm, I'll be honest. I think he did the Ghost Rider. <laughs> but basically used the original Daredevil theme. So the, the original Daredevil sort of theme music is he's jumping around. Absolutely serviceable. Absolutely fine. Um, I think it's, I th- yeah, like I said, it's really, really great. Uh, I put some other parts in my notes. Uh, Bullseye. What about that cape sweep, though? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think he had several cape sweeps. Several cape sweeps. I mean, it was almost every single scene. If you watch this, I don't think he leaves a scene without sweeping a cape like a classic pantomime villain. In his his rooftop fight with Elektra, he was was sweeping his cape to deflect her her, her, um, her attacks. In fact, Pockets and he was like that. <laughs> it wasn't a cape, sorry. It was like a trench coat, sorry. And it just looks horrendous. It just looks yeah. absolutely horrendous. Speaking, uh, th- speaking of other things that looked horrendous, the CGI wasn't finished. No, it can't have- no, it wasn't. It wasn't even for this era. Because okay, we're talking about early noughties. You can see, you can tell CGI in the yeah. early noughties. But there are movies that it works. Yep. Yeah. And it's finished and it's done. And there's movies like Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, or uh, I think the I think the classic example of this was the Mummy Returns, the the Scorpion King, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. In that, God, probably yeah. it is the worst piece of CGI that has ever been on screen. I mean, I mean, I'm and I mean ever. If you look yeah. on any list of the worst CGI, that is there. Yeah. But, I, but like in so many of the action sequences, whether Daredevil was jumping off a roof or across roofs or fighting bullseye or whatever, you just look at him and you go, 
yeah, you're animated, mate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're not fooling anyone. <laughs> which is which is a shame. So my two facts to this to, to this part, and I don't know what you think about this. Firstly, uh, the suit, the actual Daredevil suit, I think it looks fine actually, but it took them nearly eight months. It took them nearly eight months to make that. That is not an, that is not an eight month suit. Eight months no. to perfect that. Uh, and the second little fact on this is due to the success of Spider-Man, and again, we'll get back to this, due to the success of Spider-Man uh, the year before, this movie had an absolute boost of finance put to it because they kind of went, oh, we can make some money from these superhero movies. But it absolutely flopped. Yeah. Well, it's like they hadn't realized that in order to make lots of money, you have to make a movie relatively good. Yeah, exactly. In, in the right Actually, no, wait, you don't. Yeah. Justice League. <laughs> Justice. Um, before before we keep going with this, a few more little points I wrote down. The kingpin fight was quite good. I thought that was actually all right. That bit when 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 Daredevil kicks him in the kneecaps and blows his knees out, I nearly vomited. Anything to do with knees, forget it. I'm out. I hate I hate anything to do with knees. Do you know you know you've got two of them, right? I know, I know. It's 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 but it's it's like. It's when someone watches, it's like, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that video where there's a girl, she's on a bench press machine and she has a weight too much and she locks her knees at the top. I can't finish oh. the sentence. I yeah, no, I know, I've seen that. I've seen that. Oh, it, re- it really does it for me. But that, but that was really, really tough. I can't find this, but basically it was, the point of this was that obviously we've got Daredevil in this, uh, but Daredevil is a, a Spider-Man, Spider-Man villain. Uh, but, but the kind of the problem that you have there is that so basically th- this is the fact that I have right so although the, uh, the although the Marvel characters Daredevil and Spider-Man often work together in the comics it was decided that all references to the latter character had to be removed since the license were given to separate film companies this includes the decision that the Kingpin which is usually Spider-Man's enemy would never appear in the Spider-Man film franchise and the reporter, Ben Urch, who often works with uh, Peter Parker, would not yeah. work for the Daily Bugle. Michael Clark Duncan would nonetheless reprise the role of Kingpins in the animated Spider-Man in 2003 series, since the television rights did not have the same divide. But I just love that, how it's kind of like they swapped, they swapped my, uh, Ben Urch for Kingpin. And I think Daredevil got the right, got the right, uh, Daredevil got the right in for that. <laughs> because... Yeah, so... Kingpin's a great villain. Kingpin is a really good villain. That physical presence, I love it. Yeah. I think that Vincent D'Onofrio did a better job in the TV series. Oh, uh, the, the sort of the big, bold um, Kingpin character that you have. Yeah, yeah that's, the, the, that's the more famous one. Vincent D'Onofrio smashed this role in the Netflix series. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah, yeah. And the fight that he has, they, they has in it is so, so brutal. They're yeah. so, so brutal. And really, it, it, it's what should have been in this movie, as you've said. Like, you know, this movie should have been R-rated mm. and it should have been, like, way more brutal. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the Marvel, uh, sorry, the, the Netflix Daredevil series. I haven't actually seen it myself. Do you want to take the lead on this and Any- kind of... Talk a little bit about the differences and the implications that maybe this had. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think the Marvel, the Netflix series, uh, t- did it take anything from this movie, or did it completely wipe the slate clean? Took the character. That's it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I mean, they did the they did the origins, you know, through flashback, just like they do they did here. They spend a bit more time with Foggy Nelson and the legal aspect of it, mm-hmm. and Electra's in it, and yep. she's really cool. Yep, but just more broadly. The whole series is adult. It's there's blood, there's sweat, yeah. Yeah. there's broken bones. It's really, really brutal. You get these amazing wide, wide angle camera like fight sequences where you can see everything because nice. these these fight scenes have been choreographed to the nth degree, as opposed to these movies, which is like, what's going on? I don't understand. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't see anything, and when and when a character relies on his you know physical prowess and it's prowess and not power that mm-hmm. this that this character has mm-hmm. like it's his senses that are superhuman but he uses that and he trained himself to be more than that yeah whereas the movie just did away with all of that and just made him a big puncher yeah exactly yeah i'd be interested to, i of all of the four i i heard that one was very good uh, I know you yeah. like Jessica Jones, but I, I heard uh, they, well, no, I Jessica didn't actually watch them all. David Tennant. Um, before I run this out, one last song inclusion: the end credits song "Won't Back Down" by Fuel. I love this song. It's a great song. I've I've have this song on my running playlist. I've had it on my running playlist or my gym playlist for a while, and it's all thanks to this movie. So if this movie did nothing else, it has inspired many a great. Uh, Bit of bead of sweat on my furrowed brow. I can imagine it being good gym music. Yeah. D- tell me, does, does Daredevil have uh, OST? Does it have a Does it have a soundtrack? No, it doesn't really. No, it I mean, doesn't. No. So 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 I it did. Sorry, that's that's not true. It does. I had a CD. I could not track the the CD down for love, love nor money. I had the CD. I've looked it up on Apple Music and it's only got like five songs, but there was loads. But if you go onto Wikipedia, you can see the full list of songs in this movie. And it it would yeah. be great. Like actually, I would like that list because it's a good list of songs and it's a good right. like you say it's a good playlist. I just can't yeah. get it anywhere. I just wouldn't want to listen to it with you know, the Daredevil movie poster on the cover. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for your, for your street cred. Exactly. It's like, what are you listen to? Nah. <laughs> Excellent. Now, I've got a little quiz for you, mate. Oh, go on. Oh, this I love is, these. This is, this, is my last, this is my last little bit. I'm going to tell you three facts, okay? You've got to tell me which one is true, okay? Right. Fact number one, the fight sequence in the playground took just over three days to film. Film, edit, and put together. Okay. Right. Fact number two, Ben Affleck was uh, almost blind throughout this movie because he wore such thick contact lenses. Or fact number three, during the fight sequence in the playground, Ben Affleck was very briefly knocked out because Jennifer Garner kicked him too hard in the side of the head. Right. I mean, all of those are great facts. Yep. <laughs> Let's say that right off the bat. Which one is the true one? I'm going to go with Jennifer Garner kicking him in the head. They're all true. <laughs> They're all true. <laughs> I just love the because the, the the contact one is just mental. I mean, it is just mental. Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck's an absolute. He's just horrendous. If you watch back, 
you're never going to watch this again, are you? But if you did, no. he's the worst blind person in the world. Watch him in the sequences when he's walking with John Favreau. He's got the stick. It's the most half-arsed effort. He's just like fucking yeah, 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 waving it about like like you know like like it's a wand. It, it, it looks like he he's not a real convincing blind person. And then it shows you his eyes in some sequences, and they're so misty. Then others, they're just normal. I'm like, what is going on? The whole bl-? anyway. I'm done. I'm done. That's my that's my review. Thumbs up, guys. Thumbs up, wise, right? If they had really leaned into this, made it a really great R rated, this movie could have still been crap, but they would have got the music and the movie, which is what we were interested in, right? And it would have been two thumbs up. I think it actually, it's not, it's obviously, sorry, I just hit the mic there. It's not there. I'm going to give this one thumb up because I liked what they tried to do with this. Okay. Alex? You know what I'm giving it. <laughs> you didn't grow up with this. Change my mind. Go two on. thumbs up. You've got two thumbs up. Well, That's really nice of you. Nah, it's two thumbs down, mate. Change oh. my mind. <laughs> I was thinking this the other day on our system. So that what's the scale of it? I thought it was just one thumb up, two thumbs up, or none. But now it's two thumbs up, one thumb up, no thumbs up, one thumb down, two thumbs down. Is that what we're at? Is that it? Is, is that where we're at? Is there five options? I think this is the first one that's two thumbs down. Not two thumbs down, surely. At least no thumbs up or one thumb down. No thumbs up? That's the same as two thumbs down. No, that's like this. So right. My two fists up in the air. <laughs> right. But anyway. as I've already established, I've no love for I've no love for the style of music. Okay. And I don't think that the movie justified the style of music. <laughs> so it's two thumbs down, it just failed. <laughs> Goodbye. You can go in the scum bucket with Justice League. Okay, uh, it's your turn now, mate, isn't it? It is indeed. Fantastic. Now, when you texted me your choice for, obviously, Amadeus, I was, that made me really happy. Now, because I know you love this movie so much. You obviously didn't know that I love this movie so much. No, I had no idea. And the opportunity to rewatch this movie again I I just loved. I just I can't, and it's and like I said, it's been a while since I properly put. I love this rewatching of this for this podcast so much. I put this movie on at ten p.m. on a Tuesday night to wow. rewatch this. Yeah, I was I was still awake at one in the morning making yeah. my notes. Did you watch the director's cut? I did. I think I did. Now, actually, that's a great point. How do we know that it's the director's cut, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> How do we know, Alex? There's a great, there's a great scene with dogs. There's a great there's an extended scene with dogs. I got a text from Alex when we, when we were talking about this, and <laughs> wait, let me just bring back to this. This is just a brilliant. Where are we going? So, uh, so Alex texted me. This was the conversation. Uh, Alex, how would you feel about watching Amadeus? Me? Yeah, great, great movie. Alex, I'll do it then this week. And I said, sorted. Alex said, 
hadn't realized you'd seen it before. I got back and I said, yeah, I actually think I saw it in your mum's music class. Alex got back. Watch the director's cut. It has tits. <laughs> Was I wrong? Nah, you were right. <laughs> although, although rewatching the context of the scene, I do feel quite bad now. Yeah, but it's a good scene. Like it's it, everything. Okay, like let's go. Let's go. Yeah, for yeah. It. Let, let's get into let's this. Go for it, mate. Yes, absolutely. So Amadeus, it's. I think it's one of my favorite period movies. Genuinely, it's one of my favorite dramas. Definitely, very, um, very good drama. Yeah, and for me as a classical musician, it's kind of. I don't know. It's like this window into like one of your, you know, the gods of your craft. You know what mm. I mean? Because yeah, that's really, a great point. Because he really, really was. Obviously, it's a biopic about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Everyone's heard of Mozart. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. he's. He's one of the most famous artists in the history of the world. Yes. In any form. Yeah. I, I don't care. I, I don't care who you are. Like he is he is the guy yeah. for me. Um absolute prodigy. Like, you know, they, they were spouting these facts in the in in the movie. Like, you know, he was going around to the Vatican, you know, performing his own music at the age of like five and six. Mm. You know, he wrote his first full-scale opera at twelve, mm. and like these are these are achievements. He wrote forty-one. He wrote over forty-one symphonies. Altogether, pieces of music. It's something like over five or six hundred full pieces of music. And he died when he was thirty-six years old. Wow. Yeah, I was doing the math. I think it was thirty-five, thirty-six around that time that he died. It's 35, 35, 36. Um, cause of death. Not entirely known. It's certainly not that Salieri killed him. Yeah. As, entertain, as entertaining as a tale as that is, it's just not true. Mm. More, most likely, it was syphilis because everyone died from syphilis. It was rampant, yeah. Yeah, just rampant. But as far as Amadeus is concerned, what a movie. It won eight Oscars. Eight Oscars. Did it really picture. win eight? It won eight which is up there with the most number of Oscars that anyone has won. It's, it's not the most, but it's one of the highest. Wow, I did not know it won eight. That's mental. It won eight. Best picture, best actor, best director. Who was the best actor? Was it Murray F. Abraham? It was Murray F. Abraham, but... but Tom Hulse was also nominated. He was nominated in the same category. Same category. Wow. Which... After watching the movie, you're like, yeah, neither one of those guys was a supporting role. Actually, that's interesting because out of the two, Murray F. Abraham wasn't as much of... I would have given it to Tom Hulse, but obviously it's because he was more animated and he was he had to act yeah. more. Yeah. But I don't know, yeah, because obviously it's difficult. It's difficult to play that kind of constantly jealous, constantly scheming character so maybe that's why it got interesting interesting yeah. and obviously it no, won best score i think i think f murray abraham absolutely deserved it because although although tom hulse absolutely nailed absolutely nailed the the impish qualities of mozart because it's well documented that mozart was a bit of a party animal he yeah. was really he was really bad with money and he was just a little bit mental yeah like 
crazy genius and that kind of crazy genius historically has always yeah. died young unfortunately and tom hulse did a really great job of depicting that but i think f murray abraham did something even even better it's communicated in the dialogue of the movie so beautifully the fact that on one hand he hates this man he hates this man because he is being given all the talent by god right yes but at the same time it's not it's not the same as i don't know maybe an athlete or something Yeah. yeah is is like oh i'm not as good as that foot that footballer mm-hmm. or something right mm-hmm. because salieri could see the genius the thing about mozart at the time is he was a rock star you know absolute banging tunes and you see like throughout the movie he the people love him and like the the even the poorest members of society when they go to like the vaudeville fit theater and yes. they hear mozart, they all hum this hum hum their tunes the priest at the beginning of the movie Right at the start of the movie, when Salieri plays the piano and he plays a couple of his tunes, yeah, and the priest yeah. know them, and he plays one tune by Mozart, and he, suddenly there's this huge smile on this priest's yeah. face. Oh, wonderful! I didn't know you wrote that, and then I didn't. Yeah, that, uh, that I, was, I, that you're you're so awesome. right. I love that sequence at the start. I wrote down though as well. I, I yeah. love it. Goes you studied in uh, you studied in Vienna. And, he, and then he plays his own song. A little bit selfish from Salieri. Just, just oh, I'll, I'll play these. Here you go. Have a wee shot of these. Yeah. But, yeah. And I was thinking that at the start. And then I kind of thought that sequence has summarized him. I mean, he has wasted his adult life being jealous of Mozart. It has yeah. just, and it's brought him to this madhouse, obviously. You know, yeah. this, just, this just absolute, uh, j- just has has you know has wasted his life and that was the first thing that he did was play all these music yeah i loved that bit i loved that yeah bit. but I just imagine that. being able to recognize what you perceive as the the voice of god he said he, he says that god speaks through mozart's music several times mm. in, in this movie so imagine being able to see that and there and, uh-huh. and not being able to do anything about anything, it. Anything, it's that, it's the helpless, and I know, God, it, it, because that's why this movie is so brilliant, because we all have felt at some point in our life that just helplessness. You cannot, it, it's envy and jealousy to that level where you can't put your finger on it. And Mozart does nothing but want to be nice to this to Salieri, and obviously then that kind of changes a little bit when he gets drunk and he, he slags off his music and stuff, and we'll get yeah, to yeah. that bit. But that yeah. inerrant it, jealousy is such a fantastic thing that when you can when you can boil it down and display it in a movie, and it 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 it, it hits everyone. It's like it's like some people can identify with ro- rom coms. Some people can identify with maybe horrors. Some people, this, but you're kind of you're not really getting the target demographic. But jealousy is something that we all feel. We've all at one point yeah. been jealous of someone else, and I think that yeah. that is one of the reasons why this movie just hits you at some point. If you engage with this movie, good. It shows you're human. Yeah, absolutely. And to rub salt into the wound to how much Salieri hates Mozart 
Mozart has the worst laugh in the world, but it is br- it, it's so good. It's so good that yeah. they chose. You know, they chose to go give him a really spine tingling laugh because whenever Mozart's yeah, yeah. happy. He wants to be really down. He's down when this guy's jealous of is happy. But how can we put salt in the wounds, give him the laugh? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is awful. But the real, the real tragedy of Salieri's char- character, obviously, apart from that really intense jealousy, is at his most basic function as a musician, he is in love with this man's music. Oh, completely. Oh, completely. And I, I remember that scene... Uh, and as the, my next note, when Salieri reads Mozart, it, he reads that Mozart music, and he, he says it's beautiful, and he and he drops the music. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I and mean that must have just fun, oh. to give you a fun little point about that scene. Mm-hmm. One of the big eye-opening revelations in that scene, when Mozart's wife hands over the scores, and he says, "My husband would be frantic if he knew those were missing. Those were originals," and he goes what these were originals yeah and he's like yeah he doesn't make copies that's true really that's true it's not 100 percent true but by and large mozart's compositions went straight from his head onto a score with no mistakes wow straight down in and you think about these 60 piece orchestras with all these interweaving parts, all the there's so much science and oh yeah stru- structure to classical music. There's oh, so yeah. many rules, but he just went yeah. He right just, down he onto just the page. download it and just put um uh, yeah. He just, he just went right onto the page and it was perfection every single time. And to to an extent, I mean, it is like that is closer to. You know, that, that's, I think, to put that into perspective, that's like someone just solving, you know, advanced mathematical equations in his head and just writing them out perfectly and stuff. You know, like yeah. that, that's the equivalent of it. Or listening to a language you've never heard before and being able to yeah. just transcribe. You know, there's, there's no way that, to, to listeners who obviously, I mean, I'm relatively familiar with sight music and reading, you're obviously very familiar with it. But I don't, you don't need to be, a classical musician by trade to know that that is um, and why I can understand why that was interpreted by Salieri as God or at that time or a greater power to so to speak has given him this gift yeah you know it's a it's a it's a superpower far more than just being talented yeah exactly and like you just have to you just have to see now us sitting here in 2020 how how much are we still playing Mozart's music how much are we still listening to it he's he will exist as long as the human race exists I swear I I yeah. I'd say I was put money on that but I'm unable to put money on that <laughs> <laughs> why don't you take but, that to the bookies no, and see I what mean, the odds are it's sky a bet a... sky bet will match any bet mate <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know do you know what I mean like yeah no, I think he wrong. will I think he will exist forever um, mm. as well as a, a few other people but and i think this movie really <laughs> i said something rather crass to <laughs> my girlfriend after we'd finished watching this i said this is pure mozart porn this movie <laughs> yeah 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 you're not wrong you're not wrong 
this is pure Mozart porn. Okay. It's the it's the to get to into the nitty gritty of some of the individual pieces of music here because I feel like we should we should get onto that. Yeah, go for it, mate. Go for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up. Go for it. The main ones I want to talk about are all the ones that Salieri sort of narrates. There's a few staple pieces of music. The, the whole movie is scored completely, almost completely, by Mozart compositions. Okay. And some of them are talked about in the movie as they're happening, and some of them are just scoring like you would hear in any other movie, except okay. that it's all Mo- except that it's all Mozart. But Salieri directly talks about a few pieces of music. And the first one he talks about is when he he himself first meets Mozart and when we, the audience, first meet adult Mozart in that party for the Duke of Salzburg. Yes, yes. When he does the whole talking backwards, eat my shit thing. Yes. Yes. That's all the context I'm going to give for that, listeners. If you want yeah. to find out more, go and watch. <laughs> go and watch. Oh, my God. Couldn't emphasize more. Of all the movies we've all the movies we've reviewed for this podcast, this has got to be at the top of me just going, go and watch this movie. Because I don't think many people have. Go and watch no, this movie. No, certainly not. Certainly not enough. The piece of music that is played there is this gorgeous piece called The Grand Party to Wind Serenade for 13 Wind Instruments. Okay. And... Salieri, for the first time, he looks at the score, he sneaks a look at the score, and he starts to say, you know, the music starts off low and sort of pulsating, like a rusty squeeze box, he says, Mm. you know, it's fairly fine. And then high above it, an oboe comes in with this unwavering note. And then a clarinet. And then a clarinet takes over the melody. Takes over the melody. I love that. I love that line. And the music and the music is playing as he is describing it. Oh yeah. In, in terms of the flashback. Yeah. And F. Murray Abraham just if you've ever seen a, mu- a music a music geek, i.e. me, or actually my dad, that's who I get this from, whenever we get animated about these pieces of music, we look like him. <laughs> oh, lovely. We look we look like him. We just describe these beautiful moments uh-huh. of music and then just you know you get these little gestures and you feel the the phrase and you just get you get so personally involved with it and to see somebody on the screen interact with the music like that and understand it on the page and then describe it like that mm. it's really really satisfying can i ask and a question does that oh sorry keep going yeah. oh i was just gonna no, ask no. was it was it your dad that introduced you to this movie no, I actually think I saw this movie again in music class. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I was just picturing I a, uh, an Alex and his dad moment where he sits you down and puts this no, movie in front of you. Oh. I actually don't think it is. Uh, nah, me, me and dad were too busy watching Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, fair, enough, fair enough. Sorry, but keep going. I interrupted. No, and he does this again throughout the, throughout the movie when Mozart presents his opera... The Marriage of Figaro, for example, which I've played a couple of times in okay. various productions, both here and in America. Marriage of Figaro is one of these amazing, amazing comedies. And another aspect of this commentary on Mozart that I really, really like is that they're saying this music is holy, it's godly, it's, mm. it's speaking to God, but it's not, it's not actually sacred music. It's not church music apart from the Requiem Mass, which we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. 
which is a big point. But, you know, the marriage of Figaro was this really political caper that it was a big point that it stirred up unrest in the class systems. In well, Europe it was it was it was banned, was it not? They mentioned yeah, in the movie. Is that, is that true? Yes, it was. It was banned in many places in Europe, and it was a very taboo subject for Mozart to write about. But if you ever went to go and see uh, the Marriage of Figaro, you'd know that it's ridiculous. Like it really, it really is things like counts dressing up as servants and falling in love with maids and you know and and all this sort of just crowd pleasing stuff it's like soap soap opera really really interesting okay it's like it's like soap it's just it's just pleasing and it's just it's just happy and salieri again talks about a scene at the end of the opera when the count is reciting to quote the movie the first tender words he had spoken to his wife in years only because he thought that she was someone else. Oh, yeah. And that's, yes, I remember that bit. Yeah. And the music that accompanies that is so personal and so pure. It's by far my favorite part in the opera. And these operas last for like three hours. As a player, sometimes when you're playing a three-hour opera in a really dark, sweaty pit and you get to two hours 50, you're like, oh, fuck this. I want to go to the pub. (laughs) (laughs) And more often than not, whenever you do opera runs as a professional musician, when you do limited runs, you you might play, you know, seven performances in eight days or something like that. Like, it's it's tiring and it takes a lot out of you, but I will never get tired of playing Mozart operas, ever. What about the, the, there's the whole ballet piece as well, when the, the ballet was a, a ballet in, in it was originally because the king did not decree it or something and then they put it in, but then it only played for nine shows. What, what was, what, do you know the backstory to all that? Because I haven't actually researched the history on that one. I don't, I don't actually, I don't know, the, you know, the exact historical accuracies of like number of playthroughs or whether or not the emperor yawned or something like that. You know, these are. Yeah, that's right. The yawn. These are. You know, these are these are dramatic constructs based on hearsay and letters because Mozart did write that he felt like there was a Italian cabal <laughs> that were, you know, against him doing well, which is why he was more he was very, very popular in Vienna among the masses, but he was popular with everyone in Prague. Really? In Prague, which coincidentally was where this movie was mostly shot. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, also, interestingly, being spied on a lot by the secret police because in the 80s, uh, Czechoslovakia was not the place to be, let me tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that actually brings me on to the next piece that Salieri talks about, which is Don Giovanni. Yes, Don Giovanni, of course. Don, Don Giovanni. And the movie does this great, great thing of pairing the big spectry ghost of the commander that sings Don Giovanni at the end with Leopold Mozart, his dad. dad. And this is something that's been foreshadowed throughout the whole movie. Whenever Mozart's dad, when Mozart's dad first comes in and a couple of other times when you see him and then when Salieri imitates his dad, when he dresses up as, 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 as his dead dad and like sort of makes out the ghost, it's always the first big D minor chord of Don Giovanni. Yes. That is that is played throughout, and it's a great use of foreshadowing. It is, in, yes. in the movie, and then you get the payoff when he when Leopold finally dies, 
and you get to see the end scene of Don Giovanni. Oh, that's it, yeah. On the scene. What I love about this scene, number one, they filmed it on the same stage that Don Giovanni was premiered in. Really? In Prague. So Mozart himself was there at that place where they filmed it. I did not know. That's a fantastic fact. Wow, that's so cool. And also in these scenes, and this is why they, they won an Oscar. One of the Oscars they won for this movie was production design. Okay. There is not a single piece of electronic lighting in any of those theaters. It is all flame. Really? Yeah. All the lighting God. and stuff, they wanted to make it look exactly how they would have looked at it. And there's lots of documented evidence of those early productions yeah. and you know things like set designs and production notes because it was a very big business. Opera was a huge business in, in, in Europe in the late 1700s. Like, it, absolutely huge. So they tried to recreate that as much as possible. And so there was an interview that I read about one of the production designer who won the Oscar, she said the Don Giovanni bit made her so nervous because you remember this bit where there's demons going across the stage, yep. these huge, big flaming torches. Yes, yes. This, this um, opera theater at the time in the 80s in Prague had had no renovation done since that time. It had not been touched, which means the whole bloody thing was made of wood. Wow. And so that could have went right so up he, in flames. He was sitting there going, God will punish me if I burn this opera. Is <laughs> <laughs> what, what she said. Wow, amazing. And, it, and it's great like that. And I love how the movie theorized that connection between Don Giovanni and his relationship with his father. A lot of which is, you know, hearsay. Because actually, when you know the whole of Don Giovanni, you know, you see that last scene and you think to yourself, God, that must be a long opera to sit through. That sounds like really dark and, yeah. you know, evil and sad. It's a comedy. It's hilarious. Oh, okay. Okay. The main character, Don Giovanni, to give you a brief summary, Don Giovanni is a, is a rich count who, like, quite literally has slept with half the, half the women in Europe. <laughs> like, okay. So he's like, like Lord Flashheart. Exactly. He's exactly like Lord Flashheart. And his and basically the whole movie is him and his manservant just dodging and weaving as trying to escape various angry women. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now along the way, at right at the beginning of the of the opera, he kills one of these women's fathers, who's a commander, a commentadori. Okay. Okay, so that's like a quite a dark serious thing where like you know the father's being like you mess with my daughter we're having a duel sure but then you know he kills the father and then we get on with the caper and it's a it's it's a whole comedic opera because most of these operas at the time were funny they were comedies yeah and and you go through and it's all nice and that's nice and nice and nice and nice and nice and until the end when he starts to get visions of the man that he killed and that's the man that knocks on his door Oh. and says Don Giovanni and basically says to him in that whole scene that you see in the movie he's saying to Don Giovanni repent or be eternally damned and he still goes nah I'm not repenting and he quite literally drags him down to hell wow 
and then that's how it ends. It's like a complete 180 really? in tone of all opera. And it's it's crazy. It's so mad. Nay, I did not know that. I did yeah. not know that. I, yeah. do, I do. I mean, and, and if we bring it back to the movie, uh, Lopar Mozart, so the, the dad, yeah. brilliant. I thought Roy Dutrice is, so, I really like Roy Dutrice as an actor. I think he's really great. And I love that scene where he first walks in, that kind of tense, the meeting of the father. I love that he walks into his son's flat and he's like, this place is a shite hole. You know, just wandering yeah. around, there's wine glasses left out and all that. Like, I looked at it and I'm like, my God, yeah. if he thinks that's a shite hole, never come to my house yeah. after a night out. I'll say yeah absolutely um, but so, yeah, I thought his dad was really great sorry keep going yeah but before I get on to the last piece of music that I have in in this movie I just want to ask you a question I've talked a bit about the marriage of Figaro and Don Giovanni yep all this but more broadly speaking in this movie did this movie make you want to go to like a Mozart concert or maybe even a Mozart opera uh, did it be more interested in that I have never, I've never seen opera live, actually. Um, I know you play a lot of opera, and I've never, of, of all the performances I've seen you play, I've never seen you do an opera, I don't think. I don't no. think. Well, I've never invited you to one. It, it, it's like, they're like three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for sparing me my, my, my precious time, my gentle ears. Um, <laughs> No, I, it, it's made me, I, t- I tell you what, mate, specifically that Don Giovanni piece. I mean, that I would, if you ever play Don Giovanni again, you must invite me to play or, or Marriage of Figaro. I would for sure, I would for sure go and see, I think that's the benefit of having you as a mate and as a professional musician is that you can introduce me to these things. I don't think, yeah. it's kind of like I'm, I'm personally involved in it if I go and see one of these things and I know that you're playing in it because we can talk a little bit about it afterwards on a kind of a scale of what we've talked about. But no, to answer your question, yeah, I would like to go and see, I would love to go and see one of these. Yeah, I really would. Well, I'm taking you. That's that's it. Nice, fantastic. (laughs) I love it. But the last piece of music that we have in this movie that is a real feature is his last piece, Mm -hmm. the Mozart Requiem. Mm-hmm. the requiem mass now you've talked about requiem masses a bit before on this podcast yes i have and i promised so before, before sorry just to interrupt on the requiem mass piece i've been i've do, i've been doing this little background piece of research and this background piece of work that i promise i will do next week raf i promise i will do it uh, i've i've had a i've had a really great suggestion from a from a close friend of ours who who listens to the show uh, and who's given who's told me what film i need to do for next week and it will bring back the requiem mass piece um, but anyway I, I have talked about it in the past with Mad Max. Yes, is the answer to your question. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So Requiem Mass, Mask, Mask for the Dead. What's really interesting is that it is actually true that he was, that Mozart was commissioned to write this anonymously. Okay. Like it was somebody anonymous who commissioned him to write this Requiem Mass and he died, he did die before completing it. So, so those, those two things never, are fact. But he never wrote with Salieri. No. They, they never wrote together, those two. Like, those, physically, those two humans never collaborated. No, they did. They did. They, they did? They, okay. were actually good, they were actually good friends. Real life, they were good friends in Vienna. You know, they were professional rivals. They were professional rivals, for sure. But they were friends, first and foremost, because, you know, it is, you know, you can hear some of Salieri's music 
in Mozart. Like, you know, the Welcome March that the emperor plays on the piano when Mozart yes. first visits it. Yes. Mozart says, oh, I've already got it in my head. And then he sits down and he plays a better version of it. Yes. Real life, that becomes one of the famous areas in the Marriage of Figaro. It's the same piece. Oh, okay. But that was originally yeah. Salieri. Yeah. Interesting. How interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. On the piano, and- on the piano, at what point did white keys become black keys and black keys become white keys? When did that change happen? Or is it, is it the harpsichord? Is it a harpsichord or a piano that's, that's being... No, used? that's a pianoforte, that one. Okay, what's the difference between that and a harpsichord? Well, actually, if you're, if you're interested in that, I would recommend you come into the museum at the Royal Academy, at the Royal Academy of Music, because we've got a whole collection of pianos up there that go right the way through history, and it shows the evolution of the piano. Oh, does it? It does, yeah. It's really, it's, it's really interesting, yeah. actually. And you can get, and you can, like, really see all the mechanisms inside it, because we open them all up, and... You can see the different mechanisms for how how they, how they were constructed, different techniques to get bigger sounds. That's all, how do they get that? that? How do you get so obviously with a normal piano, it's 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 the mechanism is the hammer, the hammer that yeah. strikes three is it three strings per note? Yeah. So three, which is well, hang on. Before I got into that, right before I got into my question, why is it three strings? Why is it three wires per note? Why is it not just one wire? Does that make sense? Well, um, yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Why is it one, why is it one string? Well, because basically, if one snapped, oh, is it really? Is it just as simple as that? Is it redundancy? Is it? Well, no. I mean, no, it's not. I mean, yeah, three. It's going to be louder than two, and it's going to be louder than one. Oh, okay. Because for some reason, I was thinking, are they are the octaves apart? Is there some sort of harmony around those three? But no, because there are there are notes. there are mechanisms that do do that, different octaves and stuff like that. Honestly, the variance of piano is truly amazing. But we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to well, it. My other question. Sorry into this. I'm sorry. Now that I've now that I've got you here, I'm like I want to keep asking more questions on this because it's so interesting. How do they get that tink like that sort of like? You know that harpsichord sound, that din, di, 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 din, di, 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 like that. That when you hit one of those notes on the, that piano, that yeah. piano forty, it doesn't sound like hitting it on a normal piano. It sounds yeah. like like tinier is the only thing that I can say to you know. What I mean, it's more yeah. trebly. Why is that? Mainly to do with the type of hammer. Oh, okay. So not mainly the to do with the type of hammer on the most modern pianos. The hammers have like a piece of felt on them. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, so you get a very so you get a very soft action yeah, on it yeah yeah whereas the action was a lot harder back then and the mechanism for actually raising the hammer was nowhere near as sophisticated so you don't get nearly as much control so and so what like that the, made, the lever arm on the hammer or something was smaller exactly okay. if you look at the if you look at the mechanism in a normal steinway grand piano like we yep. would get nowadays you would look at the mechanism and you go surely it doesn't need to be as complicated as that uh-huh. But it does because that's the only way—the way you get so much control over how hard oh, you hit yeah. it. Whereas on these older pianos, it's binary: you hit a note, it makes a noise, you're done. Amazing. Sorry, th- this was a really transition. I just—I really enjoyed that. Just that's where—that's one of the few occasions where engineering and music just yeah, combine, yeah, yeah. and it's just like oh, oh, harmony. You—you you would get such a kick out of a how to build your own piano sort of I kit. Would. Guide. 
actually, that's a gr- imagine building your own piano. How fucking cool would that be? I would, l- I would love to do as an old retired man. I will, b- you know, some people build computers and stuff. I will build a piano. It'll oh, never happen. Would it not? Is it too difficult? I don't know. Prove maybe me wrong. A guitar, maybe a guitar. Okay, I'll start with the guitar and see how I get. Off. I'll start with a ukulele and see how I get yeah. on. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Keep going. Yeah, but yeah, the the what we were talking about, the requiem mass. Yes. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, the it turned out the real person that actually commissioned this piece from him was a really rich count in the countryside, and apparently he had a track record of anom- anonymously commissioning pieces from composers and then saying that he wrote it in his own like private concerts. Oh. So he was oh, planning on. Oh, okay, I see. He was, he was he was planning on stealing the Mozart Requiem. Now, does that bear any parallel to any story that you might have seen recently, where someone's stealing someone else's work and claiming it as their own? Well, no, no, no. I'm I'm literally talking about the movie Amadeus, because how dark was Salieri's murder plot? Yes, very, very dark. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to kick myself here. You put no, 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 literally. I'm giving it, no, I'm giving it, what I'm saying is in real life, somebody was trying to steal um, the Requiem Mass. The, what the movie did was it, it took that aspect of the real story and they, and they said, well, let's apply that to Salieri and then like concoct this, frankly, Shakespearean murder plot yeah. where, where you've got a jealous composer who will make his victim write his own funeral mass, kill that composer, and then claim the most wonderful, glorious, because the Mozart Requiem is yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's so much more dark and mature than anything else Mozart, because I've already said a lot of Mozart's music was jovial. Yeah. Jovial and happy. Out of the 41 symphonies, only two of them were in a minor key. Really? Number 40 was uh, G minor, which um, is... Okay, yep, yep, yep. Very famous piece. And then the earlier one, which is simply number 25, is actually the first piece of Mozart that you hear in the movie, which is also in G minor, where it's got this really amazing syncopated off rhythms where it goes... Yes, yes, yes. That, is that the bit when they're shouting, Salieri, Salieri? Mozart. Oh, sorry, he's shouting, he's shouting Mozart. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, sorry, yeah. yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, it's all clear. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but my point being, Mozart was a happy bloke. He didn't write, you know, tragedy too often. But when he did, it was incredible. And the Requiem Mass is a great example of that. It was finished by one of his students, I forget I forget the name of the guy that finished it, but it was finished by one of his students. But just the, the idea to steal the Requiem Mass and play it at your victim's funeral, that is truly dark and yeah. slightly yeah. twisted. Like, it kind of gives you chills. It's like, ooh. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, did, I did love that. I did love that. But I think the most, one of the most famous sequences on this movie, though, um, sorry to bring it back to the middle of the movie as we were, I know we were at the end. Yeah. Sorry, just, just to, I know you've probably got notes, but I just, the last thing I wanted to say was no, my, most, my most, 
You've not had, you've not had much of a say in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> My most favorite sequence is the masked ball sequence where people are asking him to play different composers. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that piece. I love that because yeah. that is the peak of... Um, and it's the quote, and I wrote the quote down, where he plays uh, Salieri, because obviously Salieri says Salieri, and he goes, ah, now there is a, was it a challenge or something that he says. Yeah. And then he yeah. plays it very slowly with a shoot face, and he does the weird fart thing, which I always think is really weird uh, when I watch that. And obviously the family guy took the piss out of that sequence, uh, it, which I always laugh at when I see. Yeah. But the, spe- the, 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 the line after, when it cuts to old Salieri, he goes, go on laugh at my mediocrity oh I, yeah. I i just like laugh at my mediocrity because obviously there, there's there's very there are very few musicians who when they take themselves so seriously they can get away with it modern day musicians very small amounts very small i mean like you're talking about the classics someone who would take themselves very seriously would be someone like david bowie but he could get yes. away with it and that's the kind of ilk that we have modern day. But back in the day, these uh, famous composers and stuff, you know, they could take themselves so seriously and actually be taken for it. But to have you, to, to, to put, he puts his finger on his button and he says, laugh at my mediocrity. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, that, that just a brilliant writing, just great. Yeah. Really, that that summarizes it for you because yeah. Salieri's a genius as well. You know, he's he is a great musician, but by in, by comparison, you know, he could be a nine out of ten, but Mozart's a ten, and because he's a ten out of ten, he can call everyone who's a nine mediocre, mediocre, uh, mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and 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 like you said, we go back to what point? There's nothing he can do about that. Yeah. Anyway, that, no, that, I just wanted to nothing, you can, nothing, nothing you can do about it at all. I'm really happy you brought up David Bowie, actually. Oh? Guess, guess who was considered to play Mozart at one point? Was it Bowie, was it? David Bowie. I could totally... I mean, that would have... Been, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Tom Hills did a fantastic role. By the way, on, on that, Tom Hills has not acted since 2008. He hasn't really been in a huge amount more stuff. Um. But he was so good. I think, and I think, that's a, I think that's a great thing, is that you don't see Tom Hills or Murray F. Abraham in many things. Obviously, we talked about Inside Lou and Davis and Murray F. Abraham in that. It's so yeah. cool, that inclusion. He's uh, also I, really good in Homeland. Oh, is he? Okay, fantastic. But yeah. you don't see these two actors in many other things, or they're not known for many other things. And I think that there's that makes it better in some ways because it's, you're not associating yeah. it with someone else. Someone else. That's also a very, very good point because there was another very famous actor who was associated with the role of Mozart quite early on. Oh, before Mark you Hamill. see... Oh, Mark Hamill. Yeah. Oh, that would have been really good. Yeah. That would, that would have been really good. But obviously we only know that would have been really good because of his fantastic voice artistry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because but at not, the time, for Luke, not for Luke Skywalker. Well, at the time, exactly. It was it was the eighties. It was the height. Of, it was the height of Star Wars. The producers didn't want Mozart to be Luke Skywalker. Oh, that's a really good, interesting, interesting. Wow. Because he did actually play the role on Broadway. Like it was originally a Broadway play. Who who played and, the role? Mark Hamill. Mark, Mark Hamill did. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he played Mozart on the stage. Interesting. And uh, he wants to be considered for the movie as well, but the producers just wouldn't let even let him audition because he was Luke Skywalker. Which you know, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I think I think you probably I think he probably in hindsight did the better role. Uh, that's so yeah. interesting. That's yeah. a really great one because you know. Oh wow. Yeah. Nice. There's a, there's another there's a few other really great points of casting in this movie as well. Simon Callow. He's so good, Simon Callow in this. He is so good. He's so so good. Bit of a dodgy American accent. Yeah, 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 completely. It's just it is I think the American accent thing throughout this did throw me for a lot. The accents do you know are what? Do you know what? I didn't care until I heard Simon Callow's one because I just it wasn't a great American accent. And you know what? When everyone's talking in an American accent, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's a good point. Yep. It doesn't matter. But when somebody does a bad one, but the, you know the other thing that I, that I thought was? Yeah. This movie is guilty of a bit of a bad Hollywood trope. Because Simon Callow is an English actor, but he's playing a good guy and he has an American accent. Right? Yeah. Papa Hyde, uh, no, Papa Mozart. Roy Detrice, yeah. English accent. Kind yep. of portrayed as a bit of a, a bit Brilliant. of an antagonist. Yeah. Count Orsini Rosenberg, Charles K. You know, the guy that, that tore out the ballet. You know, the guy in the blue suit. Yes, yes. He, yes, he's, a, he's he, British, he, yes. He's an, he's an antagonist. English yeah. accent. Yeah, English accent, yeah. All the antagonists in this movie have British accents and all the good guys are American. But then obviously we haven't, there's one character we've not talked about, which is Constance Mozart, his wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, I mean, almost an overbearing American accent I found uh, in a lot of scenes, yeah. but obviously naturally a good, she, she was fantastic in this Elizabeth. Yeah. I mean, no more, no, no more so than Tom Hulse. Like his accent was very firmly in the American. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I found hers a little bit more. I was it it his. I was like fine when she spoke because obviously they're introduced together in the sequence, and it's very over Americanized yeah. when they're talking, yeah. and doing that, you know, saying backwards words. But it was hers that kind of made me made the note in my notepad yeah. as opposed to his. But it's yeah. six and two threes, both of them fantastic. Yeah, I've just got a, a few more a few more points I want to hit on because I know that this one's probably uh, going on a little bit, but. Uh, just another couple of interesting casting ones. Did you recognize the guy that played Emperor Joseph under his wig? Yes, I did. It's uh, Thingy Jones from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, Rooney. <laughs> Rooney, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, forget the name of the actor, um, Jeffrey Jones. Jeffrey Jones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I like that. That one with Callum, because like, you really love uh, that movie as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Also, Kenny Baker of R2-D2 fame. Oh, where, where's he? Is he... He was, you know, when they did the kind of panto version. I thought so, the... yeah. I, I didn't want it. Yeah, I didn't want to say. He, so he was... He was one, one on top of the horse. He was, one, he was one on top of the horse singing Don Giovanni yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, just the one last point about, like, just the amazing production of this movie is the music that was played in the movie was not just compiled from classical music recordings. They got 
just like scoring a new movie, they got an orchestra in to re-record all of the music that's featured. So mm. everything you hear in the, in the movie was recorded especially for the movie. It wasn't just a famous recording of that piece taken from the archives. Because obviously these, these, these pieces have been recorded ample times. Sure. You could just choose what you want. And I think that lends something very, very unique because there are a few tempos in some of the pieces that aren't quite the done thing, as it were. Mm. Like some of them were a lot slower than you usually hear them in, in performance. And a lot of times you can chalk that up to, you know, interpretation because interpretation is such a, just such an important thing in classical music. But actually what, it actually has a much better function in this movie because it meant that they could re-record Mozart's music and do it at a different tempo so that it fits with the movie and so that the music hit the dramatic points really? like it like it was an original piece of like it was an original piece of music Amazing. specifically written for the music and it it raised an interesting question in my head is of all the oscars that this movie was nominated and won for why wasn't best original score in there why Whoa. didn't they why didn't they posthumously give mozart an oscar Oh, that would have been fun. Oh, that would have been really fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. Tell me, tell me why they couldn't have done that. Well, I, I think the only reason why I say that would, they wouldn't have done that was imagine what other films were nominated that year. I couldn't tell you. Well, so, so that's what I'm saying is that Mozart didn't, Mozart didn't knowingly write that music for the movie. And then no. other movies that were nominated that year, the, art, the composers who did probably would have felt snubbed if, if it had gone to Mozart. Do you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine? Yeah, anytime they're all musicians, they get it. But also, not only were, was the music specifically recorded for the movie, it was also recorded on period instruments. So, you know, instruments of the orchestra have evolved over time. Mm. And, the in, and the equipment that we use have, has changed a lot because back then strings were not made from tightly wound steel. They were made from cat gut. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, very, very different sounds, but the, but the music for this movie was all recorded on historically accurate instruments. Really? And, and recorded by Sir Neville Mariner, Who's a very who's who's a very very big name in historically informed performance. So they did a real number covering all these bases to make this movie, even with all its dramatic licenses, as historically informed as possible, which I really really love. And also, they even with like the piano concertos that you hear in this movie were specifically recorded for the movie, including one pianist called Imogen Cooper who on this movie played concerto number 20, Mozart's concerto number 20. Uh, I actually have played that piece in an orchestra with her. Playing. Wow. So you've in, played, in Cooper. 
you've played with her and she played that same piece. Of, and you she played, played that same the same piece. And I didn't realize until I watched the movie and I was doing my notes. And I was like, oh, that was Imogen Cooper playing. Oh, it was that piece. Wait, was that the one? Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome, yeah. man. That was last year, actually. That was in November, I think. That's so cool. That's that semi blown yeah. my mind. That and must have blown your mind. <laughs> I it, it, it did blow my mind. I was like, wow, that was the same piece. And I have to tell you, it was one of the best like orchestral musical experiences I, I had. She was great. Amazing. Amazing. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, nice. Any more notes? Anything else you want to go for? No, I, I, just, just, the, just that this, this mu- music, Mozart, is so like, important to me. You know, how I've been brought up with music and what I do for a living. This mm. is my bread and butter. This is the stuff that I earn, yearn to do well and to yep. see it in a movie that's made this well. Because there's some trash out there. There's some, there's some movies about Beethoven called Copying Beethoven, I think it's called, and some other things that are just really cheesy and crass and horrible. But this is something else, and I absolutely love it. Amazing. Uh, Thumbs up? Two. Two thumbs up, yeah. I mean, two two thumbs up for me as well. If I can give it anything higher, I would. This... I mean, I, you've blown my mind with some of the facts, especially that piece that they re-recorded all this music. Is I, I, that's, that has kind of put this thing to, it's really put it into perspective how we started this music movie podcast. We've come into it with all of our ideas of maybe Star Wars and stuff. I'm sure we'll get around to doing those, the, the actual ones and the Indiana Jones. But it's something like this, you kind of go, this is the real music movie. You know, this is it. Yeah. I mean... For me, it was inside Lewin Davis, but Maria F. Abraham was in that too. <laughs> Different <laughs> style of music. But yeah, yeah this is it. Oh, amazing. Thank you for that, man. Thank you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. I think I wrapped it up. I think, I think you'll probably want to cut some bits out of that. But <laughs> No, I, do you know, I want to keep it. In fact, I was just, I was thinking this. We're not going to cut this. Um, I think this week, what we'll do, because we can do what we want, and we're not beholden to anyone, let's move, because I had a few points to put in moving forward. Let's, move moving forward to next week we'll yeah. cut it there what do you yeah. think about that mate because i've got a few things yeah. but they're not pressing and i think we've yeah, gone not pressing. none of us are going anywhere You know, it's so funny, right? I was out for my one walk a day um, and uh, I, I was walking past this house and the door was open. And as I was walking past, I saw a little toddler just scroll past the door frame and he tripped and he, fe- he looked at me and then started walking, tripped and fell and then erupted into tears. And I went, oh God, could you imagine having kids at this time? Like parents are doing so well right now. <laughs> yeah. No, they honestly are. Like, um, like I'm still te- I'm still teaching through Zoom, uh, and it's currently the Easter holidays, and I'm e- and I'm emailing parents going, "Do you want me to still teach during the Easter holidays?" And they're like, "God, yes, <laughs> yes, yes." In fact, can you do more? <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it's just a time for them just to say, "I totally get that." Mate. Excellent. Well, I think that's the show for this week. Yeah, excellent. Uh, a little bit longer in the content, which is fine. 
was great. I think it was appropriate. Thank God we didn't talk for this length of time about Daredevil, and it was Amadeus oh, that God, we yeah. leaned into. I've kind of forgotten that we'd even talked about that <laughs> at all. Um, excellent. What do, we, what do they need to do next if they like this? Uh, you need to go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five star rating and a cheap. But, they, but they've review. done that. But they've done that. What do they need to go do now? Now that they've done that, they need to. How do they get this out there? What What do they do? These minions of us, these 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 thestrals, these beings, these pieces of paper that we can throw out to the world. Yeah. These notes they can tell people, tell friends. Yes, you absolutely can recommend it to recommend it to one person. Or take it with you on your work group Skype chats or Zoom chats and just shout yeah. it down, the, just scream it at them. Recommend podcasts. Yeah. Because I've been listening to more recommended podcasts now than I ever have in this lockdown because I've got nothing yeah. better to do. No, that's the point. That's the point, everyone. You've got nothing better to do, so I don't want to hear your excuses. <laughs> How do they contact the show? Uh, you can send us an email at motionspod at gmail.com fantastic nice yes, uh you know you what you're doing next week oh i did know what i was doing next week nice <laughs> we'll talk about this I've after forgotten. i've forgotten no way i'm sure <laughs> you remember i for sure know what i'm going to do next week as i say it's got it i got it i think i got it over the email uh so i and i it's as i said long time long time mate who's a listener of the show so i'm gonna i'm gonna follow up on i'm gonna follow up on that one so stay tuned Goodbye. It comes back to the the requiem as well that we we discussed. Uh, oh, it's a bit of a theme. It's, it's cropped a up a, in, in <laughs> more more than a couple of movies we talked about. Exactly. Uh, that is all from me. So until next week, goodbye. All right, guys. Ta ta.